Hi, and welcome to another edition of Authorised. My name's Kevin Hillier. This is the podcast where writers speak, and today speaking to two writers as we head into the world of fiction for old and young. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, one of Australia's best-selling uh, authors, international best-selling author, Monica McInerney, about her brand new book, The Godmothers. Uh, Monica, of course, is uh, a prolific writer, 13th novel, this one, and we'll talk to her about uh, her successes, uh, also about uh, what this book's all about and about uh, her life in general. So uh, a fascinating chat coming up with Monica McInerney. Uh, You'll know her from books like uh, A Taste For It, Lola's Secret, At Home with the Templetons and uh, Hello from the Gillespies. It's uh, intriguing family uh, storytelling at its uh, its very best. This one's uh, another story about family love and lies and hope and sorrow secrets. So uh, yeah, just like our family, just like my family and your family and everyone else's family, but this is a beauty. Uh, We'll meet the lady behind that book shortly. And we'll also talk to Dale Thomas, who's better known, of course, as Daisy Thomas, the AFL footballer of over 250 games for Collingwood and Carlton. He's branched out and written a children's book. And uh, you'll see the link between Monica and Dale uh, a little later on in the podcast. I hope you enjoy uh, the conversations I've had with both these uh, these two, one uh, with the first book and one with the 13th novel in the series. And it's all thanks, of course, to our very good friends at uh, cscg.com.au. That's the CS Consulting Group. We all uh, try and, uh, you know, weave our way through our financial uh, woes and highs and lows. Well, here is uh, some very stable and good people to help you uh, in that in that quest to uh, to financial security. They'll help you out in all lines, all branches, all the uh, the tentacles of the financial world. They've got them all covered, and they'd love to hear from you. Jump on their website and find out more. It's cscg.com.au, or give them a call. Uh, they're in Melbourne on double nine seven four eight triple three double nine seven four eight triple three. They are terrific people, and we thank them for their support of the Authorised Podcast. Let's get to our two authors, uh, Dale Thomas, a little later on. But first up, let's meet the lady behind this terrific new book called The Godmothers, and that, of course, is Monica McInerney. Hello, Kevin. Monica speaking. Hello, Monica. It's Kevin speaking. How are you going? (laughs) How are you? I'm very well, thank you. All right. Well, let's have a chat about your book, if that's all right with you. I'd love that. Thank you for wanting to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. 13 books is a hell of a – 13 novels is a hell of a, a portfolio. Thank you. In 20 years. I know I worked it out and I think it means I've spent about 14 years sitting alone in a room on my own (laughs) with a a computer. So that might um, explain some things about my personality, I suspect. So are you you an appointment writer in terms of you make at nine o'clock every morning, you get up and walk to the computer and do your stuff or how how do you go about it? I'm really disciplined. I am um, because it's the only way to to get a book finished, I think. And also I like to stay in that same, I don't want to say zone, but you get into a rhythm with writing. Like if, if you were talking to me and I was a sports person, I'd be, I'd be exercising or practicing every day or a musician. And I think writing is the same, um, the same idea and that you, you keep turning up day after day. Uh, not every day is a great day of inspiration and imagination, but some days are, and you never know which one of those days is going to be the day that really powers you through to the story. So it is it, for me. It's a matter of yes, turning up every single day. No, no look, I've written a couple of books, and they're not they're, they're non they're not fiction books. They're, they're they're books based on interviews and stuff, and that that kind of takes its own its own journey down the road. How do you go about putting it all together when you're writing a fictitious book? 
In lots of ways, I think your work would have been harder than mine because you have to stay accurate and you have to work in those guidelines of what the people that you've interviewed have told you. That's debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll leave that to your lawyers, Kevin. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But certainly from my point of view, um, that's the wonderful thing about writing fiction. I mean, my my novels are um, uh, what I describe as family comedy dramas. So, you know, they're rooted in real life in, in that regard that I want the readers to feel like they're in the middle of this very complicated um, family, a fictional family that I've invented. But um, but I also want them to believe that the, these are real people that, you know, real events, good and bad, are happening to. Um, so in a way, really, the sky's the limit in terms of imagination, despite those, you know, those parameters. Um, and and I love because I write about families and family secrets and and um, and secrets tumbling out. Um, really, it, it depends on what the makeup of each of my fictional families are, all the things that I can make happen to them. So it's it's quite a powerful feeling, actually. Even as I'm saying it, I think yes, I think I quite enjoy being in charge of lots of people. <laughs> so where the, the the blurry lines of where you know your family and the people you know and all that kind of come into your books and stuff? Do you, do you have that? thing where people pick up you know a book like like uh, you know the godmothers and go mm, I think uh, I think I remember that when that happened uh, at our house uh, t- 10 15 years ago and you're bringing it up in the book now I think so because I, I sort of describe writers as walking compost bins in that we gather all this material. But seriously, as we walk around, you know, every conversation you have, every person you meet, every place you go, it does all filter inside into your memory, into your imagination, wherever creativity um, springs from. And so absolutely, like I might, you know, remember a conversation or a particular personality quirk that somebody had and it's not right for the book I'm working on now but maybe in a couple of the books it will be. Um, and, and that's where I gather my material, you know, I'm, I suppose I'm like a magnet and all these iron filings coming at me, that, yeah. that that's where I gather, um, you know, like I don't use real people, like people often ask, you know, am I in it or is such and such a person in it? And they're not because if I was to use real people, they wouldn't do what I needed them to do. They'd always have to fall back into that person's, you know, way of being. Uh, but I, I certainly use elements and in terms of myself, I know actually I don't write biographically, but I do emotionally. I, I, I use lots of the, the strongest emotions that I've been through, be they, you know, everything from, from love to grief to fear to envy, you know, all, all the big the big building blocks of a human being. Um, I put those in too. In, in your books, and, and let's talk about the godmothers, is there a character that's more you than any other that kind of is the one that you use to direct the, uh, the, the you know, the storyline? The story. Funnily enough, with this one, because this is really this this book, The Godmothers, is a family mystery in lots yeah. of ways. It's a, it follows a young woman called Eliza, um, who's uh, in search of really the, the, the her father, who she's never met. Her mother had promised to tell her who he was, and sadly, something happened, so she wasn't able to do that. So her two godmothers have really minded her, and so the story is Eliza's as it as it goes through. Um, but it's also the story of you know the, the two godmothers and secrets and people uh, keeping an eye on other people's you know lives and what they know about them. So it's yeah, there's kind of lots of things in the in the book. I think. Um, Eliza is a very, very different character to me, and she was quite hard to write because she's turned her life into a very safe, um, like no risks whatsoever, um, keeps the world at bay, and that's the opposite of my personality. So she was quite hard to write from that point of view. I almost had to do, okay, what would I do? So the opposite is what Eliza would do. Um, So in in that way, it's not me, um, but she was 
she was the person whose whose path I followed the whole way through. Was this a book that poured out of you, or was it a book that was hard to write? This book poured out of me, but I did have a false start with the book before this one, which I ended up not sending to my publishers or agents, and that's one of the reasons it's been three years since. Um, my last book is that I did. I had spent two years writing another book, um, but when I finished that, after two hundred thousand words and read it back, I wasn't happy enough with it. I, I thought, no, this was a book I needed to write. I needed to write a lot of you know emotion out of myself, um, but it wasn't a book to be published. But so when I started The Godmothers, that felt like a dream book because I knew what the story was going to be. The plot took off. I apart from Eliza and her two godmothers, there's lots of there's a very lively supporting cast that I had a lot of fun with. So it's a serious book, but there's lots and lots of humour in it. So from that point of view, it was a really good fun to write. Comedians talk about starting with the tagline and then building the joke around it. Do you start with the finish of the of the book and then build the book around it? Or how does how does that kind of process work for you? No, I'm the opposite. I never know what's going to happen at the end when oh, I start. Wow. Yeah, a lot of writers do. And again, you know, your experience would have been different, of course, with nonfiction books. But yep. with mine, um, because I, I'm, everything I do is because I'm a reader. So I was, you know, I started reading as a four year old. I read so much. I read a couple of books a week still. And I love not knowing what's going to happen as I turn the pages. And as a writer, um, that's what I want, that same feeling. So when I'm doing the very first draft, I, I do not know what's going to happen. I, I know who my main characters are. I usually very soon know the big event that, or, that's going to you know, propel, propel the, the plot. Uh, in this case, that it's, you know, Eliza's going to, going to be catapulted out of her normal life and find herself in Edinburgh out of her Melbourne life and in search of her father and lots of secrets about her mother. But each day, as I went up the stairs to my attic, uh, where my office is, um, it was a new day for me. I didn't know what was going to happen until I wrote it. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I mean, certainly after I've done the first draft, I go over and over and over it again. Like I do about 10 drafts of each of my novels. Yeah. Um, and that's when I really fine-tune and then I know, okay, if I want that to happen, um, you know, I need to make sure that's a bit clearer earlier on. You know, Technically, I need to really work at it. But for the first draft, when I'm literally making up the story, uh, I don't know from one day to the next. Did your love of books come from, uh, you, you mentioned uh, as a youngster, picking up books at an early age. Was that because your mum worked in the local library and when you were living in uh, in the Clare Valley? Yeah, I reckon it did. I think um, like any kid that has people around them reading um, or is encouraged to read or is, uh, books are, um, are on offer around um, gets a love of books. And I was spoiled for that in that my mum, um, I'm one of seven kids, and mum was a really um, keen reader, still is. And we've got memories that mum used to lock herself in the car so she could read. <laughs> We'd all be <laughs> hammering on the windows <laughs> trying to come and do something for us. And um, and she'd be in there reading. And, and so I had a very, very strong memory of, you know, seeing mum, you know, absolutely lost in a book. And then, you know, as a, as, as a kid when she got the job in the local library in Clare, well, that was heaven because she was, you know, very relaxed about borrowing limits and we had the keys after hours. So I read my way through pretty much everything in the Clare Library and and that's why I'm a, a writer too. I think I wanted to I wanted to see if I could do it. Um, and thank God I, 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 I have been able to. Well, 20 years, so we'll see how I go for the next 20, but so far so good. When you finished the first book, did you think, oh, that's it? Everyone everyone says, oh, I've got a book in me and that's that's me done. But now you were, we're talking about The Godmothers being your 13th novel. Uh, obviously, uh, you only scratched the surface when you finished that first one. 
I really did. It was because um, I'd started with sto- short stories, and yeah. I'd written. I reckon I wrote, you know, maybe maybe nearly a hundred short stories before I got a, a few published, which is what gave me the confidence to start my novel. And I loved writing the short stories for the same reason. Each story I wrote, um, whether it worked or not, would give me an idea. Oh, maybe I could, you know, try this with the next one, and. I discovered it was the same with the novels. And after I finished The Taste for It, which was my first novel, which was a romantic comedy, um, so that's, you know, that's 20 years ago, um, that gave me an idea for another romantic comedy. So I wrote another one and then another one. Yeah. And then when, when it came time for my fourth book, I had discovered that while I had loved writing romantic comedies, because it's, you know, it's, it's such good fun because you have two people who you do everything you can to keep them, you know, out of, you know, so they're not together and then they are together at the end. And then I realized I was getting much more interested in their families, the families of the two people involved. So my fourth book is a, is a family story with romance, you know, some romance in it, but a lot more family drama. And then that made me think of another possibility. So each book for me um, gives me an idea for the next one, a bit like you know, beads on a necklace, I suppose. Yeah. So, and I've already started my 14th and actually, and I've, um, I'm writing my first series of children's books too. So luckily the ideas are flying out of me still. Wow. Uh, you're prolific. Yeah, well, nothing like no social life because of COVID didn't you know, get the idea. <laughs> I'd yes. say there's going to be an absolute glut of books in the next couple of years because all of us writers have been locked away. <laughs> when did, Here we come. When did uh, when did it become apparent to you that you could actually not only do it to, for fun but do it as a, as a profession? Because you you'd worked in the in the book industry and in, in various kind of things. You'd worked at record companies. You'd done all sorts of different things. When were when was the time where okay, I can be a writer, but not only can I be a writer, I can and actually make a living out of it? It was about the third book, I think, um, when I decided to take the plunge and think, right, I'm going to do this full time. Um, with my first, my first, when I was writing my first book, I was working full time in a public relations agency as a writer. Um, and then when I was writing my second book, um, I was working as a temp, so which was, you know, a fantastic thing to do because I like literally, you know, just turning up a different workplace and sometimes I'd be filing, sometimes I'd be answering phones. But I was able to give myself like, you know, I'd work as a temp for a week and then I'd, that would buy me a, a, a week's writing time. So <laughs> I did that for the second book. Yeah. And then by the third book, um, I was, you know, luckily able to, um, one, I have a fantastically supportive husband. And so he said, look, I think, you know, let's, let's, let's do this together. I think, you know, you're loving it. So let's try. And then from the fourth book, um, I was able to, to write full time. And that, you know, so that's 16 years now. Uh, so it was gradual, um, but I'm glad it was because it made me very sure that this was what I wanted to be doing. And, and also everything you do as a writer, um, is, fantastic material so I've had I think I've had two or three characters who have worked in temp agencies because what a great job that is because it's a bit like being a butler or a waitress like people you know people think you're invisible because you're just this temp that's come in so yeah. I was sitting there all all eyes and all ears and I've, I, um, I got a lot of material as a temp. <laughs> Wasn't uh, you didn't think there was a long-term future in being a script writer for Here's Humphrey? <laughs> He still never spoke, Kevin. And no matter how many how many lines I gave him in my script, I know wasn't I lucky? I mean, that was my first job out of school. I was Humphrey B. Bear's wardrobe girl, and then and then I wrote about seven seven episodes for Hugh Humphrey, um, and I was you know seventeen. That was between seventeen and nineteen, so I was really young. Um, but they the people at Channel Nine took a chance on this you know kind of. 
country kid who was, you know, I was very enthusiastic. Um, but yeah, gee, it was a fun job. And, and to this day, I still think I learned so much about being a writer from writing children's television, from being involved in children's television, because there's no, you, you, you don't have the opportunity to, you know, have slow times. You've got to keep their attention um, absolutely gripped. And my books to this day are very fast moving and, um, and I want people to keep turning the pages. And I, you know, I suspect, you know, I learned loads of good lessons on that time at Hugh Humphrey. Yeah. I also know how to make anything from cardboard and sticky tape. <laughs> I learned. <laughs> Not only does she write the book, she can actually put them all together. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you mentioned the children's books. You, you, you're venturing into that area now. Is that, is that a totally different way of writing? I've had to start from scratch with that. I mean, I know wow. it, it's hard. It was, you know, I've loved doing it, but it's a really different um, skill set. I mean, my my first one is coming out in April next year with Penguin, and it's called um, Marcy Gill and the Caravan Park Cat, and it's for young readers like ten and under, and yep. it's a chapter book. Um, so it's um, you know short chapters, but some illustrations dotted throughout. So I'm having the real joy of working with an illustrator called Danny Snell, who's and that's the first time, like my words are being turned into pictures. That's never happened before. Um, and it's a family story. So, it's, you know, lots of humor and, you know, drama simmering underneath for that younger age group, but it's also got magic in it. And that's oh. been so much fun. So I've got, I can make magic happen. And I'm, it's going to be quite funny to go back to writing my next adult novel because I want to put magic in it. But, <laughs> you know, that might be a little stretching stretching credibility, I think. But no, it's been, it's, I mean, I'm working with a really fantastic ad- editor at Penguin who's been very patient because um, there's a lot to learn about writing for children. You know, you, again, you can't give much, you've just got to get cracking. You you don't have long to get their attention. So yeah. um, I'm learning a lot from that. But, you know, any writing is, is great experience for, for a writer. So yeah, I'm loving it. The uh, the geographic uh, locations that you use in your books. I mean, in, in the Godmothers, uh, uh, you go from uh, Morwell to Heathcote to Edinburgh to to Ireland, where Braveheart was filmed. Uh, is that is that a, a thing that you've always been really conscious of uh, having as part of your of, of sort of your your thing? Yes, it is, and I think it echoes my real life. Like I um I grew up in the Clare Valley, as you mentioned, and then yep. lived in Adelaide, and I went to London, and then Sydney, and Melbourne, and where I met my Irish husband, and we moved back to Ireland, and we moved back to. The Clare Valley, and then Tasmania, and back to Ireland. So we've been moving and moving like for a long time, like for the last thirty years um, of our marriage. We've been going back and forth between the two countries, and I'm very aware of what um, what travel does to you. You know, in the olden days when we were allowed to, um, but the, you know, the anticipation, but the trepidation, um, the opportunities that open. The fact that you take yourself wherever you go, I find very interesting um, that you can sometimes arrive somewhere thinking, okay, I'm going to reinvent myself, but there you are, you know, your whole life is, is behind coming, coming with you. Yeah. And from a novelist's point of view, um, I find that very, very interesting to pull people out of their normal lives and fling them into a new environment. Um, and, I, you know, again, I think that comes from, from my own experience, as I mentioned, but also... As a kid, like I grew up in a really small country town called Clare in South Australia, and um, it was through books that I learned about the rest of the world. Like yeah. I read about snow in Ina Blyton's books. I read about coves and islands and, you know, the Mississippi and Mark Twain's books long before I ever saw that in real life. And I think that has come from my childhood, that I loved, I loved reading about other places 
through books. And I think that's what I want to do for people that read my books. Like, it's, and, and especially now, you know, when we can't travel and I've only had early reviews of Godmothers, it's only just out. But people are saying, God, that, you know, I feel like I've been traveling. Thank you. <laughs> like, it was, like, I have a whole chapter set on a plane, which was very weird to edit because the idea of sitting on a plane, you know, with people really close and, um, you know, those kind of, mm-hmm. um, easy days to travel um but yeah i think I, I i love the possibility i love what travel offers us yeah you don't shy away from sort of heavy themes as well i mean in in the godmothers you you look at alcoholism you look at loneliness uh, you're not you're not frightened to, to, to delve into those areas you're not uncomfortable in those areas no i'm not because if i want to write about families and human beings uh which i do um, I have to show the shadow side as much as the light side. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, my, my books have a lot of humour in them because luckily I'm from a family where, you know, it was it was like an Olympic sport to make each other laugh. <laughs> and and sitting around the kitchen table, the nine of us, you know, I have six brothers and sisters, We it would be like a survival of the, the wittiest really, like who could make, you know, everybody laugh the most. And you had to be very quick. But I've also, you know, and I've had a very joyous and love-filled life, but I've also felt, you know, great grief um, and sorrow and anger and uh, and I've seen terrible, sad things happen to people very close to me. And um, and I see how that shapes people. I see how it shapes me. You know, I, I think I'm shaped by grief and by love um, in equal measures. Yeah. And like, you know, every human is. You know, if we had time, if I could flip it and I asked you questions, I'm sure I would discover, you know, some great losses and sadnesses and hardships you've had as every human's had. And if I want my books to be the most real that they can and to feel authentic too, um, I, I have to touch on, I need to climb inside the, you know, the, the dark times for us all as well as the brighter, um, happier times. You mentioned you're working on your 14th book now. Uh, is, there, is there any COVID kind of uh, connection in, in what you're writing currently? Not not. Ever, I reckon I'm going to set all my books in 2019 from now on. I don't think anybody will ever <laughs> want to read about a pandemic ever. Do you think? No, I'm um, with you. <laughs> yeah, I just think. I, I mean, I never sort of specify particularly what year it is in my in my novels because I get published at different times around the world, and and um, and you know, and hopefully they you know, they still be read over years. But I mean, I, yeah, I, I think what's happened in COVID will happen will come into my books in some way because I've been affected, you know, very personally. And I, I was over in Australia. I usually live in Dublin with my beautiful husband. And in February, late February, I came over to see my mum and family and and a, a, a bit of a work trip as well. And I got caught up in all the flight cancellations and border closures. So I've been here since. Um, I was supposed to have only seen my husband, been away from my husband for just under under four weeks. And we haven't seen each other for seven months. Good. And that has um, been very, very hard at times, even though I've had, you know, great joys of, you know, really unexpected special time with my mum and family. Um, but I know that will come into my novels in some way, a separation of some sort, because yeah. I've, it, it, it's been, you know, it's been life changing for me. And, you know, we, my husband and I talk every day, thank God, and video calls and but. Um, you know, I don't know how that will come out in my books. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm 55 and unexpectedly found myself living with my 81 year old mother and a cat. You know, I didn't think that would happen <laughs> for seven months. <laughs> so who knows? That might, you know, that might change shape. And once it's been in my compost bin for a while, and you know, who knows what that might might come. Uh, I have to just take 
take it all. But if I can do my best to avoid the word pandemic in any of my novels from in the future, I sure will. Uh, I'm with you on that one, 150%. <laughs> the dedications in the back of this book, it's obviously some, some personal uh, sort of uh, things about this book as well. Yes, they do. It's a really special thing to be able to dedicate a book to people or to yeah. mention people in acknowledgements. And it, it's actually quite hard to write acknowledgements sometimes to keep it quite brief because, you know, I, yeah, my name's on the cover, but so many people are, are involved with the not just the publishing, my, my, my publisher, my editor, the proofreader, the printer, the sales reps, the booksellers, you know, the, the, the book side of things, my agents, so many librarians, etc. Um, but also my, you know, my family, um, my, uh, you know, the, several of my nieces and nephews helped me with research, came on research trips with me for this one. And there's, there's uh, some of the action in the Godmother's takes place in a, um, a hotel called the Montgomery, a gorgeous boutique hotel in Edinburgh in Scotland. And that was named after a really dear friend of mine, Bruce Montgomery, who was a journalist um, with the Australian and the and Australian in Tasmania. And I've always loved his surname and that was always my plan that I was going to surprise him like this week and send him a copy of the book and say, there you are, you know, I've borrowed your surname, thank you. And to our great sorrow, um, Monty was, was diagnosed with cancer um, last year when I was actually in Edinburgh researching the book. He, he wrote to us with the, the terrible news and he died in January this year. Yeah. And um, But I was able to send an early copy to his wife, who's a you know, very close friend too. So again, that, you know, that bittersweet, um, you know, the, every time I read the word Montgomery in the novel, um, it makes me feel great sadness for, for, for Monty's loss. Um, but I'm very pleased to be able to um, you know, honour him in that way. Yeah. And and the book is, is dedicated to a very dear friend. He's like my surrogate grandfather, a fantastic Irishman called John Neville in uh, in Ireland who's in his, his mid-80s. And he built my writing desk and also my attic in Dublin. Um, so the book's dedicated to him because what could I do without my writing attic? And he's, you know, he's really um, touched and so are his family, I know. So you get to do lots of special things, you know, with those acknowledgements and dedication. Terrific. Well done. Congratulations. 13 books, uh, 13 novels, uh, not to mention, as you said, the, the 100 short stories or so you wrote uh, before you even got the, the first novel up and, uh, and going. The, Thanks so much for spending some time with me, Monica. I really do appreciate it. And let's hope you get to, to go home and uh, spend some time with your husband soon. I like that. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Really great to talk to you. Thank you so much. What a lovely lady and what a terrific chat and uh, what a success story uh, she is and will continue to be. Her 13th novel, as she said, already working on the 14th and a children's book, which is why I thought we'd go down this track to finish off the podcast this week and that's talk to a man better known as an AFL footballer for 258 games, it was. 101 with the Carlton Footy Club and uh, the the rest, the other 157 with the Collingwood Club where he became a premiership player in 2010. In 2015, uh, post his football, he became a father uh, to a delightful little girl called Tilly and of course part of that is reading books to kids and well let's uh, let's catch up with uh, Daisy Thomas, Dale Thomas and talk to him about what it's all about to be a published author and how that feels. <laughs> um, look it's a nice thing to have on the list of achievements I guess you could say probably a lot of people, and especially my teachers back home in Drawn, would have believed a lot of these sporting achievements on that list, but potentially not the fact that I would have one day been a published author. So it is something that fits quite nice with me, to be honest. I was going to say, have you rung your fifth grade English teacher and, uh, <laughs> and, and reminded them of you know how, how harshly they treated you back in the day? <laughs> I haven't. Um, I did 
put a little cheeky comment on one of my Instagram posts and a few of my schoolmates who I still keep in contact with were kind enough to tag a few of the teachers in there. So <laughs> I think they certainly know uh, how I've done. So it's good to see. Uh, well, we know the the obvious uh, motivation and inspiration for it was your, was your beautiful daughter Tilly. But how did you actually go from sort of mucking around to it actually being putting pen to paper? Um, well, yeah, the the inspo was one hundred percent Tilly, but sort of it, was, it came about really from me reading her books and um, you know making up my own sort of endings or funny bits of the same book where she might not have got the laugh out of the original book. So yep. I then decided that toilet training and the thrills and spills that come with that um, can be quite funny and made to be quite funny when you're not quite sure what you're going to find on the floor or behind the couch. So <laughs> I cheekily took my take on that and just and penned the paper and slowly worked my way through it. And a couple of years later, it turned into a hard copy book. It uh, it comes under the uh, the kind of uh, inverted commas joys of parenting toilet training, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. It's sort of my cheeky take on it. I think um, you know, for anyone who's followed my career or seen me interviewed or whatnot, I think you can certainly uh, pick up those tones of my sort of light heart. And uh, pretty much a, uh, a locker room uh, mentality vocabulary-wise too, I would have thought. <laughs> no, well, again, it got tidied up a little bit from some, <laughs> of, um, uh, <laughs> some of the phrases that I had used and penned down there, but... Um, we got there in the end. So is poopy pants what you were calling Tilly or is that just a, well, what pe- maybe you were called when you were younger and going through it? <laughs> uh, no, I think that was the most sort of PG version of what I wanted to come up with <laughs> that we could go with in a, uh, <laughs> in, a ra- in a range that we could sell books to the, the wider public. So, the um, yeah, the poopy pants was just sort of the character name I came up with. Uh, beautifully illustrated by Alison Martin. Oh, absolutely, mate. The, the job that she did and that was – you know, as you say, the process that happens of, you know, starting off with the idea and then sending it off and choosing the illustrator and her coming back and forth and it's discussing colours and um, just everything. The book, I just think it, we open it, it's those infectious colours and her style of illustration is just so fantastic. I could not be happier with the work she did. Uh, is there an audio uh, version of it? Is it an audio book as well? I think there is. I'm pretty sure you can somehow find the audio. I haven't narrated it, which is probably a good oh, thing. I, I, I would have, that would have been good with your own sound effects well, and everything in there, I would have thought. Well, well, maybe. If the people want it, that's potentially an option. I can do that. But, um, it is only a kid's book. It would be probably the third or fourth book I could put myself down to actually claiming I've read from start to finish, if that is the case. Oh, well, that's, that's the funny I was going to say. A, a lot of footballers I, I know and have met over the years have often said, you know, I've now, on the release of their second book, they've said, I've now written more than I've read. <laughs> well, I have read a lot of, lot of children's books. But in terms of uh, long-winded novels and whatnot, um, let's just say the audio book and Audible is one of my favourites because I, I'm not the sharpest or strongest reader, but I do love listening to the books being read to me. Now, spoiler alert here, I'm not going to give away the ending of the book, but uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it it is a cliffhanger, we'd have to say. <laughs> the the, uh, the big uh, build-up, if you will, to what happens at the end, but now there's you know, one of my favourite lines in the book um, demonstrations, diagrams, and softly spoken words. Do we need a PhD to extricate your turds? Like, <laughs> I just think, uh, as a parent, you sit there and you go, 
I've, you know, I'm a well-learned person, I'm educated, and I cannot convince you to sit on a toilet yep. and do a poo. What is wrong with me? Yep. The questions of self-doubt that just come through your head. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, the beautiful uh, illustration that Alison's done of uh, of the Tilly character sitting on the on the toilet is just that the facial <laughs> expression is just uh, yeah. a million percent we've all been there. Yeah, she summed it up perfectly, hasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. So are you, are you going to write more or is this a, a one-off for you? Um, never say never. I, I don't have any hard ideas as to things that have um, – or ideas as such, but, you know, Tilly's moving on to the schooling phase of her life now, so already there's some things that have come up that I thought, geez, I reckon, you know, similar when you can relate to them as a parent, there could be a little book idea in that, so – I'll, um, I'll keep a little black book of ideas and potentially just maybe puppy pants adventures as she goes through <laughs> life could be a nice way to just follow Tilly's schooling journey. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lovely little book. It's a well done. Uh, congratulations on it. As I said, uh, well done on being a published author. It's a, a good stuff. Well done. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Uh, he's a great character and you'll see a lot of him on, uh, on the media, uh, no doubt, in the years to come. And Maybe another book or two. Who knows? My thanks to Dale Thomas for his time and also to, uh, of course, our feature guest, uh, Monica McInerney. Uh, Check out her brand-new book, The Godmothers. It's a beauty. Uh, It's uh, the 13th and the 14th on the way and maybe even a children's book. Uh, Thanks once again uh, to uh, our terrific sponsors and supporters of this podcast. That is uh, cscg.com.au, the CS Consulting Group. As I mentioned, uh, they're the people, if if you've got financial troubles, well, you need someone to talk to. But if you've got, uh, you know, your financial plan and you want to tweak it here and tweak it there, these are the people to talk to. They know what they're doing. Uh, They're across all areas of uh, finance, whether it's, uh, you know, financial planning or lending, um, they have all the services that you would possibly need uh, in-house so uh, you can uh, talk to them. It's a one-stop shop. Give them a call. They're in Melbourne, double nine seven four eight triple three double nine seven four eight triple three, or check out their website, cscg.com.au. Hope you've enjoyed Monica and Dale and uh, the conversations we had with them. There's a lot of writers in the world with a lot to say uh, when they're not behind the keyboard or the, uh, the typewriter, and you'll hear more next time on Authorised. Hope you can join me there.